Welcome to See Beneath Your Beautiful, where guests share stories of adversity and perseverance, which inspire, encourage, and challenge us. We embrace these tough conversations, intimately exploring our loves, fears, and hopes with a delicious combination of depth and lightness. I'm Chris Plord, conscious performance coach. I live in Los Angeles. I have two awesome kids, 15 and nine, wife of 16 years. I work with different companies, organizations, individuals, really getting them to fine tune who they are, their message, their shifts in perspective on how they view life. I also teach meditation, breath work, and various retreats that I run, talks that I give. So, you know, kind of a broad spectrum of a lot of different things. I originally had this old programming of I need to get a corporate job and get good benefits and get a business degree. And when you do, you will be happy and life will work itself out perfectly for you. I don't know if anybody else has that programming, but um, that happened probably before the age of 20. And so I went through life thinking that that's what I did. And I worked for some, a bunch of different companies, great companies, um, Xerox, uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I worked for Walt Disney, medical device sales. But in any time I would get in these positions, it would be a point of I'm doing okay, but I'm not really fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I'm not really happy. I'm not in this place of being satisfied. And what I realized was the thing that I was supposed to be doing, I was always doing. And that was serving people. I was in the fitness industry for the first part of my career. I trained trainers. I was working with individuals. I was certifying instructors uh, all around the world. And that is always what I kind of was able to do. But it wasn't until I fully just immersed myself and jumped into. Oh, I get to do this. I remember taking my very first paycheck in the fitness industry and it was really weird. I was like, I'm actually getting paid to do this, mm -hmm. something I loved. And from there, after being in the fitness industry for so long, I eventually went into this deeper part of what makes the human tick. What is that programming that we actually get to reprogram if, if for some of us? What is true happiness? What is fulfillment? And now I have the privilege of working with all sorts of people all around the world to really tune them into to who they are mm -hmm. and to what their story is and to really, really love themselves eventually. You know, we were born with that. But how is it that we get to see ourselves in a way that we're supposed to? And I get to hang out and play along and watch them discover that for sometimes the first time. That's so beautiful. That's my goal in life. With no experience and no credibility, my goal in life is to have everybody love themselves. Yeah. It's just a desire yeah. I have finally having learned to love myself. Mm. And so how do you help people? How do you go about doing that? I think the first thing is to own their stories, is to look at those moments that maybe they wouldn't wish upon anybody, that they went through something really rough that could be a sickness. It could be a death in the family or a loved one. It could be a really trying time. And we get to look at those things 
and not go into like trauma therapy, so to speak, but really try to reprogram what were those gifts that came from that? How are you now the man or woman you are today? Because you went through those. Yeah. So instead of being victimized by a situation that we can't go back and change because it already happened, Mm -hmm. how can we reframe that situation, circumstance, person that came into your life and say, what did I get from this? What did I gain? What lessons did I learn? Yeah. And really start to embrace those things and learn to kind of dance with them and now use them as we move forward to be in service in this world. Use those gifts that you got from those trying times in your life. My first thought is you must have people who are open to this because I have family members who don't want to talk about the past. It's the past. And I had said that once, actually, I went to a nutritionist and she ended up sending me to a trauma counselor. She was listing all the traumas I have experienced. And I said to her naively that I don't want to be a victim of my past. I don't want to think about any of that. I don't want to use that as an excuse. Mm. And she said, if you don't talk about it and get it out of you, you're just always living with those secrets and shames. And the trauma counselor, I only saw her like two times, but she freed me from Mm. the shameful secrets I've been holding my whole life. I was a victim of my childhood by not discussing it. So embracing those things that happened to me instead of the, they were this shameful secret. I really understand what you're saying. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's happening for me, not to me. Right. Right. And really getting that. And I think once people get that, these problems that come into their lives no longer become problems. They become challenges. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of what you just expressed is shame and guilt. I have a lot of therapist friends and they, they love talking about shame and guilt, not to dive into it, but to free themselves of it. And it's about being able to speak it because if we bury shame and guilt, especially in other negative emotions, they grow in power within us and they come out in other ways that we don't necessarily want them to passive aggressiveness, diseases, sicknesses, whatever the case may be. When we talk about them, like you were able to in two sessions with your trauma specialist, there was a freedom within that that allowed you to kind of go, oh, that's not something I have to live with any longer. That's something I get to reframe. Right. Well, one of the things was I was touched inappropriately when I was seven by a boy that was at the house. And I carried that shame with me for so long because when he touched me, I didn't jump right up and, you know, oh, this is wrong. My body responded to the attention. And my body just responded. And so I carried that shame with me that I was this horrible person at seven years old. And the therapist just said, your body is made to respond. You didn't do anything wrong. And just that little, Mm -hmm. that really freed me from the lifetime of that shame. And I really think that it's so important that people share their stories in a safe place. It's it's important to have that, that person who knows how to deal with trauma. If anybody's thinking about it, it's not just that safe space that you were just speaking about is so important for somebody to be able to hold that. Because a lot of people, like you were talking about your family members that don't want to dive back into the past. If people have this right now and they're wanting to share it, have that person that can hold that container because it's a lot for people to take if they don't understand it, right? if they don't truly get it. So having that therapist, that coach, that somebody to dive into that and to hold that space is so important. 
Yeah. That's our body. Like we create trauma is actually a good thing. Cause if we didn't create a trauma response to a certain situation, like what happened with your body, you would just basically be sitting there not doing anything. You wouldn't live your life. That actually helps you go into life and, and live your life. But then we go into a place of now, do we want to continue making decisions based upon something that I don't want to happen again? Or do I want to start living my life in a different way, in a different energy and run towards what we want in life as opposed to not running away from what we don't want? Mm-hmm. as a little switch that we get to kind of look at and kind of feel into a little bit more. It's amazing that it's all up here. I remember right before I went to see the counselor, I couldn't imagine that she could help me. I can't imagine talking about this thing that I would need to talk about and feeling better after. And really, it is just a reframing of your mind. No matter what you're the victim of, you don't have to be a victim. You don't. It might feel that way. It might feel very overwhelming, but there's a switch and it's a lot of it has to do with your language as well, where it can start to shift into owning, Mm -hmm. start to shift into this happened and there's nothing I can do about it, but I can change my relationship with it. So that's where I keep thinking about my family. It's definitely something somebody has to be open to because my sister would not say that. She would not agree with you at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a pretty big family too. What the lessons I've learned personally with family is everyone's going to be ready when they're ready. Yeah. And you can want it for them. You can want it really bad. You, you can see that if they just had the courage to jump into it, then they would be able to fix or be better and be free and be happy. And so what I've learned and what I work with some of my clients on is putting up emotional boundaries. You can love someone but you don't have to be affected by the decisions that they're making. Yeah. So for example, for me, my father, who's, you know, an alcoholic, he always has been, he still is, he's still alive. There were times when I would be mad. I would be compassionate towards him, be loving, you know, I tried everything in my power to get him to stop. And he has for certain periods of times and, and this and that, but What I stopped doing is when he makes that decision to drink again, it doesn't have to take me down in my life and affect me and my kids and my family and my business. I can still love him and be compassionate towards him because he's making the choice. And I get to say, yes, the boundary would be, I don't want to have a conversation with you when you're drinking. Yeah. No problem. Still love you. My sister put up a boundary. You can't watch the kids when you're drinking, Mm -hmm. her kids. Yeah, that's a boundary, but I still love him. And what I realized is in what I came to is the reason I can come to that compassion is because he went through some traumatic stuff himself as a kid. Right. And I could feel that I know what he went through and, you know, as a kid and as an adult, and he doesn't have the tools to work with those emotions. That's okay. He knows where to get him if he ever chooses to. Yeah. But I'm still going to be there for him. So it's just loving him where he's at. That's right. Yeah. With no judgment. Yes. No judgment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Must be hard though, doing what you do, seeing people change their lives and him not changing his. It has its moments. You know, I remember when I used to get triggered, it went away. I don't dwell on, yeah, look at, I can help all these people and organizations and this and that. Again, it's a choice that he is making. Right. 
I have a lot of family members, tons of cousins, and a lot of them have reached out for help. And, you know, I'll give them some action steps to do. And sometimes it's about the exchange that doesn't occur. That takes courage. It takes an exchange, energetic exchange. It takes action in order to heal that or get into that new way of being. And that's what I try to explain to a lot of them. And again, you can be there, you can give them the tools, but are they actually going to get into action to use them? And so a lot of people do. And it's a great feeling when that happens, when they're able to shift and change. What's it like for you to help somebody learn to love themselves, to see it for the first time? When that glimpse goes off, that idea of, oh, this could happen, right? And you see somebody get that aha moment or feel someone get that aha moment. It's a great feeling. It's a feeling of chills. It's a feeling of their meeting their soul for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it's a privilege, an honor that I get to be a part of that. And it's nothing I did. Mm-hmm. It's they're actually being able to see it for themselves for the first time. Right. I can just give them some tools. And when they're ready to really embrace it, to, to learn to dance with it, that's when their life starts to change and they start to really come into their own, into their power. There's a quote that I love that, to paraphrase it, unless I'm quoting it correctly, which I don't know, you're perfect and you could use some improvement. I think that quote is how I learned to love myself. Mm. Exactly the way I am this second, if nothing ever changed, you're perfect. Instead of wishing something different on myself every minute of every day, I wish I was skinny or I wish I was whatever, whatever. I can just love this. And then I can also grow and get better and do what I can to make myself better, but lovingly instead of hating on myself. I love that. I love the beauty and the imperfection and the scars. Yeah, me too. I joke with my wife because she's had a couple hip operations and I go, I love your scars. She owns them. She doesn't try to hide them. They happen for her and it's a great thing. Yeah. Peter Crone has another quote that's a beautiful one. He goes, <laughs> you don't want to be perfect because if you were perfect, you would be bored because nobody would be able to relate to you. Yeah. <laughs> What is perfect anyway? I mean, your version of perfect is not somebody else's. So there's no such thing. Yeah. Excellence, not perfection. We're striving for it. What else do you do to help people besides the mindset? Another tool that I use is breathwork. It's an amazing tool. It's a holotropic breathwork practice. It can take anywhere from 15 to 30, 40 minutes or so, but it really allows people to get beneath the layers and into the issues. The tissues have the issues is what they say. Mm. And when we're breathing this deeply, a lot of physical stuff starts to come to the surface. A lot of emotion can surface, can be physical, it can be metaphysical, it can be, it's different every single time for every single person. But I find with coaching and the breath work together, there is a lot of taking off the masks, lightening up of the armor that we have put on all these years to survive Mm -hmm. that really allows us to connect deeply into who we are and really feel ourselves for the first time in this beautiful, beautiful way. Is it like a meditation? It is. It's a deep breathing practice we do. It's called breathwork meditation. Okay. But it is this deep 
like I said, holotropic breath work that we do. And there are people lying flat on their backs. There's an intention set, but again, it can be very physical, a lot of energy coming through the body that Mm -hmm. just connects and opens up people's hearts in this really great way. We're using it at different organizations, different companies. I know even like military special ops are using it. It takes down the cortisol levels. So this is all proven studies that comes out. So if you're feeling extremely anxious and high stressed, it would literally bring down your cortisol levels, stabilize your nervous system, and just bring you to a better sense of peace and calm within yourself. That's so cool. Is that like a one-on-one thing or a group thing? I do both. Mm-hmm. Well, right now we're doing a lot of Zoom. On my website, I have a free one you can just download oh, cool. if you wanted to try it it's for your listeners. What kind of education in this area do you have or who are your mentors? How'd you learn all this? So I was teaching meditation at a, a meditation studio in Santa Monica, California. And I took this class for the very first time. It was probably right after I was teaching a meditation, just a regular guided meditation class that I would teach. And I got off off the floor after I took it for the first time. And I was like, I have to teach this. I have to share this with the world. Yeah. Because it was too powerful of something that I experienced for myself, you know, being able to connect to my little boy, myself, Chris's little boy, feeling the love, feeling the energy, feeling the lightness that came over me feeling the calmness and the creativity. So I embarked on about a year long certification with a teacher and that was it. And I started teaching it as soon as I could and pretty much haven't stopped since. And this is like four or five years ago. That's great. So I use it with a lot of workshops. Like we'll have like all day weekends and workshop. Again, it's just one tool. I know exercise is a big outlet for a lot of people, but if you're looking for something else or just something you can do in your home, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it sounds cool. I interviewed somebody who does not breath work. Something, though, with the sound of your voice. And I remember thinking, oh, I'd feel so uncomfortable being audible. I work out at home and I'm always conscious of like how hard I'm breathing or what sounds I'm making. feels like there's something stuck up here that I'm afraid to make noise. You're afraid. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, like I'm afraid to maybe that's like from being the youngest of six. Like I'm afraid to take up room when I work out. One of the coaches says, take up room. And I'm always like, yeah, that's the greatest thing you could say to me. Like take up space, be bold. And even just breathing heavy seems like taking up space. Well, maybe there's something, something there like about stepping into your power and fully being heard. You know, you just said you're the youngest. Yeah, I'm the youngest of six. Six. So there was a lot of, I have something to say, but nobody's going to listen. I'm sure. Yes. I don't think I talked until I was 15. I really think everybody asked my sister just older than me what I wanted, what I liked. I literally don't think I had a voice until I was about 15. And so look at all that programming, that neuroplasticity that literally is burned into your brain, right? As habits that happened to you for you by the time you were 15, right? And I'm sure there was some points beyond that where if you talked, then what was the consequence? What would you say that if you said something, what would the consequence have been? Nothing. Whether it was from somebody else or... mm -hmm. I felt invisible. And how did that feel? Um, After a while, normal, but that's not what you're asking. Mm -hmm. How did that feel? Well, I felt like I didn't matter and I didn't even know 
that I was important or had worth until mid 40s. I didn't come into myself, didn't know I was a person who was allowed to have dreams until mid 40s. The reason I'm so happy with what you're doing is because learning to love myself was a big leap. You know, in this body, with this brain, with whatever I have to offer the world Mm -hmm. and not wanting to be something else. I'm not smart enough or I'm not pretty enough or I'm not skinny enough. None of that has to do with anything. I still have gifts to offer just the way I am. That's right. That's why that quote I love is I'm perfect and there's room for improvement. That's it. At the same time, you're doing this podcast. You're sharing this with so many people right? That hadn't felt heard. Right. You know, maybe it was their whole life. Maybe it was only by the time, you know, from the age of zero to eight, it's irrelevant. And we're, it's all of us have our different stories and our different timelines, Mm -hmm. but you not feeling the way you felt, that's a trauma on its own that you created in order to get to the place where you were at. Then you realize, no, no more. Right. I have something to say. I'm a beautiful person that has so much to give to this world. So I'm going to do just that. Mm -hmm. And now getting back to your noises, right? Stepping into that. Like I love when we actually have people make noises in breath work or yell. Oh, yeah. There's something very primal and there's something extremely empowering about doing that. So especially if you're at home, yeah, I say go for it. I mean, I let it fly, let it out. That's part of you healing yeah. is having the, those screams is like visualizing yourself or stepping into this new place, this energy. You're literally creating energy within your body. Right. And so when you feel that and that is like, no, don't say anything. No, I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to do this now. Yeah. I'm going to step in and, and let out this yell or yells or screams or cries or you're feeling the feels. Yeah. And just allow it to go through you. Allow it to be whatever it's going to be. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take up space with my voice. Great. Powerful. That is powerful. So I've been doing this workout called Supernatural on a VR. I just put on one of those for the first time. I was blown away. So great. Yeah, It's so great. But the coaches are so good. And I feel like strong and powerful and a warrior. And I actually got a necklace that says warrior. Because in this body, just moving and taking up the space and caring for myself by moving and whatever end result happens, happens. But the point is, I'm just loving myself with movement. Yeah. It really does make me feel like a warrior. That's my word for 2022 is whimsical warrior because I don't want to also take myself too seriously. I love that. Do you have a word for the year? Fall in love with the journey of being your greatest self. I mean, that's more of a statement, but it's about the true essence of it's not about getting to the top. It's about enjoying ourselves. It's about being fulfilled. I once was sitting on the couch with my daughter. She's 26 now, but I would say she was closer to 18 at the time. And Mm -hmm. she was saying something about, you know, some end goal. And I was like, you know, for me, it's making sure I saw the pink sky that day. Like I noticed it. And whatever little something. And she was horrified that that was it. Like, this is what I'm living for. But I think absolutely, yes. Making sure you see that pink sky makes all of the rest of it worth it. As a kid, I, I was like, if we win the mega bucks, if we win the lottery, and da, 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 da. so which didn't happen. And so 
as a kid, you formulate this way of being of you think that that check is going to show up or that magic pill that you can take or that phone call that's going to change everything for the rest of your life. And what you just said is that is really powerful is it is the small details. Mm -hmm. It's the little things that we pay attention to. Like you being in that moment of looking at the pink sky, that's, that's being present. Right. And if we can get more present and make the effort to stop putting worry and anxiety into a future that is not here yet, that we're actually maybe creating in our brains that isn't here. We're worrying about a future that hasn't come yet. Right. Or dwelling on a past that we haven't owned, but it's the present, it's the moments, it's the sensations that we feel. It's the stepping into our power and yelling. Yelling. (laughs) Everything's imagination. Mm. Even what you had for breakfast this morning is just an image now in your head. It's not this minute. And this minute is all that matters because the future is a movie in your head and the past is a movie in your head. Everything else is just this very second. That's right. It's the pro, again, that old patterning that tries to put this protection on us about the future. It's like the control of where we're trying to get to next or how we're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And it's that release of control. Yes, we can put this goal out there. It's, it's important to put this goal and work towards them and enjoy that journey. But no one... In the history of human has ever set out and gone, I'm going to climb this mountain and I'm going to reach that goal. And this is the exact path I'm going to take. It's not A, B, C, D. It's all over the place. The path unfolds in ways that we can't perceive yet in our minds. Yeah. But for some reason, we still want to go back to that control and say, yes, if this happens this way, and then it's going to happen that way. When we look down and we look back in our, lives, we realize that it unfolded in the just right times and just right ways for us to learn certain things to get to the next step, whichever direction that's going to be. And usually it's lateral and a little up and lateral in the other direction. It's not straight up to the top. Yeah. Things happen for us, you know, different things happen along the way to teach us. Did you always think this way? No. So what was it like before you thought this way? I formed a very controlling way of being. It was like square pegs into round holes. Formulated this very, you know, man-like identity of I'm going to get here. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to bowl in a china shop. I was a hammer and everything was a nail. And it got very exhausting because I wasn't getting fulfilled. I was too much in control and I would push some people away that I really loved because it was just very intense for a lot of people. And it wasn't until I learned that vulnerability, authenticity, that that release of control, which is a very left brain survival type of way of being. And I got more into the trust into the right brain, into more compassion. And what I had to learn is how to have compassion with myself first and foremost, which is another form of self-love. Right. Is to look at what I went through, what I had happened for me as a kid, and some of those situations that I was in and go, no, you know what? You were a scared boy, you know, at this age. And nobody held you in the way, or you didn't hold yourself. You decided to just quote unquote, man up and go through life in a certain way so that you would be protected 
But the unfortunate thing is, is when I did that, I didn't allow myself to feel emotions the way you needed to. I didn't have the courage to feel those emotions in those early years. So when I say courage, I mean, that's what it takes to get vulnerable, to feel. It wasn't about being victimized by my emotions. It was owning my emotions. And so as I realized that and I started to have compassion with myself and my little boy, then I was able to have more compassion with others. Then I was able to, Mm -hmm. to really see them for who they are and their struggles and understand that everyone has a different way of going through things, had a different story. And then I started embracing that and say, how can you tell your story as opposed to hide your story? We can break down the the five or six major things that have happened to me in my life that I (laughs) had to embrace, but you know, that was the path. It was this idea of what masculinity is. And I became that. And then I realized that that wasn't serving me. That doesn't work anymore. As soon as I started to love myself, the more I loved me, the more I loved everybody. The more I found beauty in, in me, I could see beauty in others. Yes. They were just perfect the way they were. And the less judgmental I was of myself, the less judgmental I was of everybody else. It really does start with us. At New Year's, they asked, what would you do to change the world? I don't know. It was a question that was going around the table and everybody had some weird, whatever they would do. Oh, I don't know. They were solving all the world's Mm -hmm. problems. And I said, I would do more work on me. I would just keep continuing growth this way. I'd look this way to change the world. That's beautiful. I mean, because that's what it comes down to. A lot of people think that if they're fixing everybody else, then everything's going to be better. And it's not. What you're doing when you're healing or owning and loving yourself, when you see an aspect of yourself and you're able to shift that if it's not working for you anymore, you're you're able to own it if it is or step into it, you're giving people permission around you and your community to do the same. You're being the example. A lot of people are looking at you might not even have any true interaction with them, but they see you. They see those shifts. They Mm -hmm. see that. And that's what we get to do is first and foremost, put the oxygen mask on. Let your cup be full. I had a a client that I started with and I asked her, okay, you you know, you have two kids, you have this good job, but you want to change and start teaching and becoming a coach and this and that, a wife. I go, how full is your cup on a scale of one to 10? you're, You're pretty happy. You're smiling a lot, but how full is your cup? And she said, like a five, four or five. And I said, okay, well, how much of you do you think your kids are getting? And it was like, you're getting half of your five. You're only giving 20%, 30% of yourself to your kids. So the idea is to fill your cup, get your cup up to a nine or 10. I know we don't have those days that we're always at a 10, but If you can get there and do the work and really be at a nine or 10, then you're able to be more creative. Then you're able to give more. You're able to be more loving. You're able to do these things. And in order to do that, that takes truly seeing that amazing soul that was born in this body that we didn't necessarily love, but we put all these restrictions and form to society and did all these things. But that's what I think the work we get to do now is is take those layers off and really let that soul shine and be fulfilled and be happy and be in that joyful space because so many people pretend they are but they're really not 
what you brought up was really, really poignant about taking care of yourself, loving yourself. And at the same time, I think we look at that for our kids as well, you know, just really following being that example for our children and having two kids, you know, I'm looking at them every day and look at the decisions they're making and what do I want for them? And it's them just to be happy. I think all parents want their kids to be happy and fulfilled as some of us were projected on and not in a way that I think any parent is trying to do something that was damaging, right? I think that our parents did the best job with the tools that they knew. And did they have a better mm-hmm. life than their parents? Yes. You know, were we having a better life? Sure. But it's allowing them to live their lives and, and really follow what's true to them and not necessarily projecting on to these kids what we think that they need to do because we didn't have that. And I think that's a very confusing thing for a lot of parents. Like, you know, for example, you're going to get a great job. I said this earlier, you're going to be happy if you get a great job working in a great company with great benefits. And that wasn't the case, but that was what she thought would be amazing. If you get a degree, then your life is going to be perfect. It's loving them and seeing where their personalities gravitate towards. For my daughter, I I want to be the, she's a very spirited young one. And I said, I want to be the riverbanks to her river, not the dam. The mm. riverbanks yeah. guiding her. How old is She's she? She's nine and my son's 15. Yeah. Oh, okay. One of the moments that allowed me to love myself, one of the key moments was I had somebody over and my oldest daughter was in the room and she was talking about how much she doesn't like her body. And I realized she sounded like me. And the only way to help her was to change the way I sounded and not to tell her to love herself because she's beautiful, but to show her that you're beautiful no matter what. And so I was so glad I heard it. It was horrifying because of course you just love your children, but that also helped me to learn to love little Hara, like you're saying, because the way I love my children is the way I should love myself. I deserve that same amount of so should little Hara have that same love that she just didn't feel in the crazy household? That's set? right. That's right. And unfortunately, what we have in social media and what we see is, is this projection of you need to look like this or you need to be like that. You know, I remember when I was younger, you know, when I first got to LA, you know, served bartending and waitering and coming from Boston, you know, of course, you're seeing celebrities and this and that. And, you know, quote unquote, what whoever's quote, this is beautiful people or whatever. And I can remember waiting on certain people and being in their stunning, so to speak, what society would call stunning, but being so turned off by who they were. Right. Not because they were being rude to me, but because there was a, an inauthenticity there. And, and that was an early lesson yeah. that I learned was being attractive isn't about Perfect. Yes, we want to feel good in our bodies and be healthy and this and that. But I think what attracts, and I don't mean this necessarily in a sexual way, what, but the attraction you have towards somebody else has to do with their confidence and their way they hold themselves. Yes, definitely. It's not about that precision of hiding something. I want, like I said earlier, I want to see my wife's scars. I want to see these beautiful falls that people have taken in their lives and then them to get right back up. 
you know, just like our kids, when they ride bikes, they fall, they fall and fall and fall and fall. My son, who's a surfer, how many times does he fall before he catches a wave? Hundreds of times. But we get up and we start to stand a little tall and we start to stand in our power. We start to, like you said earlier, take up space in a really beautiful way. And that space creates an aura. And that aura is what people look at and they go, what is that? What is that that I can't take my eyes off of? That's confidence. Mm -hmm. That's authenticity. Mm -hmm. That's her seeing her beauty within herself. And because you see it within yourself, you get to see that in others. Right. It's so true. I really do. Another lesson I learned was I had a tennis coach who said, every time you go back to the service line, stand up straight. You don't know how often I use that, not just in tennis, but it makes a big difference. It changes your mindset. You're like, okay, like I've got this somehow just by standing up straight. Yes. And it also, what it's doing is allowing us to just open up our hearts. You could tack a machine on the vibration of the heart and look at how that is, right? And all those organs and everything that we have in our front, if that can be open as opposed to closing off. And unfortunately, a lot of us in front of computers and we're hunched over. And there's some men that think that they need big biceps and big chests and cover all that muscle. We want to open up. We want to stand tall, like you said. We want to let that be seen and not be held in. And when we can do that from a physical standpoint, the emotional and energetics come out in this way that people might not be able to see with their naked eye, but they can see with their heart and their senses. And, and you get to live that, that dream. You get to enjoy that journey. Great example. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Thank you. You know, there's so many amazing people that give so much to others and they give, you know, a lot of moms, a lot of dads, they're always putting it out there and taking care of their employees if they run a business or whatever the case may be. And they, they feel like they have this obligation to do so. And, and I love that and respect it. But I also would love them to really look in the mirror, look into that person's eyes and just see what is there. Is there a brightness? Is there a shininess? Is there something that for the next 10, 20, 50, 60 years that they can live with? And if not, what can they do to start to shift? What are those little moments that they can start to embrace, start to feel a little bit more, start to own, you know, what stories are they not stepping into? Are they not really taking with them and sharing with them to the world? What feelings are you not feeling? Because when we can start to look into those places that might be a little bit terrifying, a little scary, and we can lead with courage, that's where I think your joy is, where your freedom is. And that's what my hope is, is that everybody starts to live from that free place, from that loving place, so that we all can just be in a space of truth, of honesty, of authenticity and self-love. Thanks for your ratings and reviews. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Stay tuned. Is it Hara or Hara? <laughs> I hope I didn't mess it up. It doesn't matter, but it's Hara, like happy and hat. Yeah, Hara. Okay. Everybody on the West Coast, which is where I live. Hara. Hara. It's horrible. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's a thing. Well, I hope I got it right. And I was conscious of it too. I was like, oh <laughs> shit, this isn't a no brainer. I don't know.